I'm Aaron Weintraub, and this is Inside Kurdistan. When water is discussed in the Middle East or Iraq or Kurdistan, uh, it's usually with the premise of questioning what exactly is going to happen in the next 10 years. I do this all the time. Uh, I've done it in past interviews with this podcast. Uh, But the problem with only discussing climate change and resource management in a future tense is that it overshadows exactly how we got here. And I'm a believer, as most people are, that a lot of the current solutions to the future can come from understanding the history of a certain topic. And for water in Kurdistan, this includes the past politics of the region, uh, the international corporate interests that have come to dominate and define Iraq, not just with oil, but with plenty of other industries as well. Uh, And so with water specifically, you have to understand, for example, the system of dams in Turkey and Iran that have affected the rivers here. You have to understand the domestic politics that have allowed for national and international companies to get away with enormous amounts of pollution here. You have to understand what people have or haven't done in terms of conservation, personal conservation and advocacy. Uh, And so to have this conversation, it's best to talk to someone like Nabil Mosa. Nabil is the founder of Waterkeepers, an organization based out of Suleimani uh, that does everything from eco-tours to art demonstrate to art demonstrations to regular demonstrations uh to a whole list of other creative forms of advocacy focused around specifically water conservation in his particular uh area of kri but also in kurdistan and iraq as a whole and we're publishing a day late uh because we did a zoom interview uh which uh, with a combination of bad audio quality and also nabil's uh very energetic personality kind of felt like a miss uh so i got in the car and went to suli uh, to talk to him at his workspace at Pie agency uh, so with that said here's our conversation <laughs> Action. <laughs> hey, Nabil, how's it going? It's going good. Thank you. Uh, so, okay, when we last talked, it was over a Zoom interview, uh, and then um, we just decided to uh, come meet you in person uh, because, it's, uh, A, the audio quality wasn't good, and B, uh, this is a really big topic, and so I wanted to meet you in person, and so here we are. Unfortunately, it's an audio format, but we're at Pi Agency, uh, and A thing that I think is really interesting about your activism uh, is that you use a lot of creative projects to be able to um, promote cultural and and political messages. Uh, And so I was wondering if you, we could start there. What kinds of projects are you currently developing or have developed uh, for water keepers? Well, we've been, we've been using the art like as a tool, as a very powerful tool since we started and I studied art and I have, uh, uh, I have been in that field for quite a while, and uh, I'm a yeah, qualified, uh, trained actors and performer and teacher. Um, so, the latest project we uh, right now I'm, I'm I'm working with the PA agency as well. We are actually under the umbrella with uh, Experience Wilderness Club, which is the club. Lately, we created this club. I always dreamed about to have something like this to educate through. Um, like uh, water sport activities and, and like kayaking, rafting, expeditions and uh, swimming, paddle boarding. So uh, our yeah clubs under their PAI agency's uh, umbrella right now and that's why we're here as well. But we do have our main office in the tobacco factory which is as we converted to the culture factory. Again, we're there because of the, our art background and activism. So 
we do use art in every form and every event, most of the events, and we we uh, we we have a lot of experience of like how powerful this can be. I'm interested because you started uh, really practicing. Uh, environmental activism in, in the UK. And so I was wondering if you could start by giving me sort of a background on what you learned, especially as you told me, uh, regarding uh, uh, environmental activism against large corporations. Uh, there's a lot of issues here with the same kinds of corporations uh, coming here to Iraq and, and Kurdistan and uh, operating under even fewer regulations. And so I was wondering if you could compare and contrast uh, the UK uh, to Iraq and, and how you've taken the activism lessons that you've learned there and applied them here? Well, I, my little bit going back to my background, like when I was a child, I grew very close to the river and I had access to nature like uh, every day and it was my home, the safest place I could be, especially during uh, Iraq and Iran's war um, because we used to always worry about if bombs can hit the house and the house will collapse and you'll die. But if you're in the nature and I used to make my shelter in the nature and looking after the ships and fishing and swimming. But I didn't know this is going to be a strong foundation for all my life until in the UK I worked with several theater companies in the beginning. I was volunteering until I showed them my abilities and how much I can do in this field as an artist. So slowly, slowly, I didn't realize all these theater companies, they use art and creativity and as a tool of like how you, if you have any concern in society, it could be anything. You can express your anger or your concern through art. It could be dance, it could be music, it could be creativity, slogan, you write it down in a nice and you do anything. So when I was working with all these different theater companies, I realized, wow, they use art for, for shouting, for anger, for but through art and they, they color in a different ways. There is so many. Just give you the example. For example, like we did a campaign against the third runway, Heathrow runways for mm-hmm. like it was like destroying few villages and churches and schools. We didn't want that happen because we already seen flying as a stupid tools. You know, flying is destroying our planet, changing our s- ecosystem. So we did one week demonstration campaign. Every day was like an art festival, but the art was expressing our anger. Like this guy created these three bikes linked together. Uh, If you wanted to listen to the music, we had to bike. I'm talking about like 2003, four, that time, you know, Uh, everything was artistic. So I found it quite powerful and I learned a lot from if you want to complain about something, you know, go learn all the law and you will know how to break it, you know, later on. So <laughs> we had to educate ourselves about, you know, uh, water acts, climate change, global warming. Who's who's going to complain about this kind of behavior, which is created by the corporate, you know, the, the greedy systems, which is just telling us, go buy, don't stop buying, you know, go buy. So I learned a lot about how we really our planet is suffering from our behavior and we're not really aware of our what we buy and what we do and how we do farming eating dieting all these things so it was eye-opening for me so since then um, I use the same technique I'm back here and I was doing the same thing similar when I was there but I think here is more needed in a way because I don't think that I come back just because I'm from here no I could find 
for this planet anywhere. It could be in Mexico tomorrow, or Brazil, or somewhere else, China. So it's the same boat. We are all in it, and we, if we're happy, we're happy together. If we suffer, we're all going to suffer, oh, including all the animals as well, and different plantations, and sea creatures, and everything. So before we get into uh, some of the more political uh, uh, points that I want to bring up about your, uh, your form of activism, um, which I would consider not a more aggressive form of activism, but a much more direct, uh, in-your-face form of activism. Uh, it's part of the importance of a creative approach. I, I was wondering if you could give me sort of a background about the situation, uh, not just in KRI, but in Iraq as a whole, uh, regarding water. Uh, and specifically water in relation to the neighboring countries uh, of this region. Uh, because for someone who may not know anything uh, about this area, they, the KRI and Iraq are heavily dependent on neighboring countries for water access. And so I think it'd be good to, for you if you could provide a summary and a brief history about what has happened in the past century, roughly. Well, as far as I remember, wars destroyed our, actually, our everything, our mind. We don't realize it because there's so much war noise, you know, all the noise has been created by the war, you know, uh, in the last hundred years, uh, that made us not to realize anything, you know, because there is no silence and there is war and constantly non-stop war. We don't see the damage and, and the, the destructions. And I would say war and climate change and global warming is not something it happened just because it happened. It's not natural and it's created by human. And plus, all the internal, like, Politically, we didn't realize 80% of our water would be controlled by neighbor country until mm -hmm. they did, until they built their dams and they finished it, like Turkey and Turkey and Syria and Iran, especially Iran and Turkey. So, and internally, like we, our systems, you know, Iraqi regime, the systems and Kurdish Kurdistan region, we don't have a good water management and we don't educate, and our education systems, hardly we talk about the environment or ecosystem. So we need a lot. <clears throat> there is a lot of negative impact on this. That's why we're heading uh, toward desertifications and we're running out of water. We come up with you know, regular diseases and, and, and viruses. And of course, um, we, we're really behind with, with the topics. You know? We need this regularly like to be educated in our education systems and bring in some scientists up and, and some activists and some good diplomatic politicians they know how to talk to the neighbor countries because that is going to kill us you know <clears throat> like if they keep building dams um this is for me is a criminal what what's going to happen to iraqi people so this water is provided by the mother earth and everybody should have uh, clear access to it it's not belong to one country or two nation or these wealthy countries so we have to share this water, and we have done this. That's why we all gather around the rivers. We share it equally without to, uh, anybody claiming this is my water or just because going through my territory. So river used to connect everybody together. That's how we know each other, you know, how we met, how we learned different cultures and different languages because of the river. But nowadays, river because because of the conflicts and dams and and stealing water are not being used equally by upstream community and downstream community. So it's gonna it's gonna be the source of death. Basically, we're gonna use this um, element, you know, just to, against each other because what we do to it is really bad, especially 
yeah, when it's come to the contamination and, and uh, wastewater management and uh, uh, hospital waste, industrial waste, construction waste, we use river, we use nature for the dumping ground, basically. We just keep our home clean, which is we think we are safe at home. But uh, no, our real home is the nature. That's where we came from. So we need to clear up this and we need to educate ourselves again and to be awake what's going on. Can you give me a specific example as to how uh, a dam along the either Iranian or Turkish border has affected a community here? <clears throat> well, dam is, is no longer actually uh, something we should rely on and it's not a class of clean energy. Basically, what dam does is, is like, I see it as a blood clot and our blood circulation systems, basically. It's slowing down all the system and it's not natural. And it's bad for you know displacing communities and like just give you the example of Hassan Cave Village. It's eleven thousand years old village. Uh, now is under the water, unfortunately, and we should keep that place. UNESCO should UN. All walls should come to protect this place because that's where we started. Does the Tigris River go through this? 5,000 beautiful caves and still people living in those caves. And they are all under the water because of Eliso Dam. Eliso Dam is part of the GAP project. It's mm -hmm. 20, 22 large dams has been planned since 1950s in Turkey. So all these dams going to cause actually changing our the quality and the quantity of our waterways and fisheries and displacing 11,000 years old villages and erasing all our history, you wouldn't be recognized that place. You have to die for it to see what the places used to be look like. So it's not normal, it's not natural. Dam is, is a man-made disaster, basically. So that's why we're facing climate change. All the events, if you ask me, it's so clear. It's none of them is natural. It's none of them is actually normal like it used to be. So look at the earthquake, you know, forest fires and, and uh, tornadoes, floods. Uh, it's like somewhere in Saudi Arabia and you never see snow there and you have snow in some countries. They never see snow before. And um, so, yes, Iraqi people, we already suffering. It's already created a lot of misery. We, we, you know, the example of 2018 disaster when the water was completely contaminated by the sea water coming back to the, our drinking water yeah. and the water level was so low in Basra. Thousand and thousand, hundred thousand, more than two hundred thousand people were sick and 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 really dying. And Basra and the South gets a lot of coverage uh, when it comes to uh, uh, um, water issues. But uh, up north, uh, last summer we had a cholera outbreak, and so that got a lot of people thinking about the relationship between, for example, uh, pollution in in rural areas versus urban areas and how they affect one another. Well, this is the thing, you know. Maybe people think. Oh, we find we from north and all the rivers start from here going down, but it will hit you too. Again, who who is people who's those people they affected in Basra? They are all brothers and sisters, you know, we all same species. There is no the only one human race basically is the human race. So we're in the same boat as I mentioned. These people they get affected today, we might get affected next week or next year. So we will. Again, and these people like, it's heartbreaking for me. Like, I remember BBC came in 2018. I direct them all the way down from here, all the way down to Basra, 
they made a beautiful documentary and there was a point the guy asked me, say, why are you so worried about people in Dallas? Too? I said, well, they have the same rights as I have, you know, we, we're all equal. I don't see them as a, you know, oh, we're fine because we have, you know, we're going to die a little bit later. So we just have to be there and tell the truth what's happening. And also, they will come north. Like, exactly. Yeah. And these people, what's going to happen? Because this is what happened in 1991. We were in danger and we went toward Iran. And Iran was saying, oh, no, we, we don't need you. So, so they're going to run upstream. Where is the clear water? It's going to be upstream. And when we run out, and we're all going to go run upstream toward Turkey. That's what happened in 1991, mm -hmm. toward Iran. Exactly. And this is going to cause displacement, refugees, more migrants, and around the world, and, and civil war. And, and overpopulation in urban areas. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why I think we cannot say, oh, this, this is one country's problem or this country's problem. No, we, we live in the same planet. Just fly up a little bit, you know. Up, you wouldn't see any borders. You wouldn't see any nations. You know, we all, you know, small vulnerable creature living on this planet, but we don't know how to actually keep it, you know, in harmony and, and peacefully live with each other, basically. Uh, another example that actually just popped into my head was something that we were talking about before uh, we started this interview, which was the uh, Darbani Khan people. I was wondering if you could describe to the listeners what exactly has happened there in the past month, uh, the demonstrations that have occurred there, and um, specifically the solution that the government provided to the uh, the, the situation. Well, <clears throat> we have a history of like, uh, because if you look at the Soleimani, we have a really quite sloppy like city and all the sewage and contaminations, waste coming from urbans and industrial hospital all go to Tanjara River all the way down to Darbanihan Lake, which is a man-made reservoir for the Darbanihan people. And since 2007, every year we have having a fish kill happening upstream a little bit further up, like when the Tanjara River meets Siwa River. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> there was a, in 2000 demonstration, 2011, um, Darbanihan people, they come, they blocked the road for one week. Uh, uh, just because of the, the, the they were opening a tap water, worms coming out and different bugs and coming out of this. When they checked the tanks, the rooftop tank, which we, we all have in here to save water, it was completely contaminated, like bugs inside the worm and different creatures. And people, they gone crazy, like this is my drinking water. And they realized, so they hit the street. They did demonstration for a few days. And so this is not a first time. I have been around with them for quite a while in 2000. I can't remember, it was 14, we did a biking expedition from all the way from Darbanihan, 70, 75 kilometer biking expedition all the way from Darbanihan to Suleimani and camping in here in front of Suleimani governorate for two nights. And after going to the Tanjaro, it was a big campaign. So they have been campaigning for quite a while. And recently they did this campaign just again because of we sending all this heavy water and contamination to their drinking water. And they, they, they don't have access to clean water at all, so they, they, they buy water. And recently, a few, uh, like, uh, few people from Darbanihan died because of the kidney failure, because of their water is so much chlorine and it's not really clean. And so, yeah, and they do need public service. But when I went there, they were really um, angry about the road. Uh, has not been finished for many years. The road from Suleimani to Darbanihan and opening new hospitals and some other 
needs, but uh, of course they were talking about water, agriculture, and but uh, my speech was mostly about can we just bring the water to the top of the death subject because basically if you look at the amount of people dying from, you know, because of um, the water shortage and contamination compared to the road, people dying from the roads and again, if people don't get sick and why do you need a new hospital? So think about why we are getting sick more than any other cities. So government should be looking at this seriously and, and, and to do something about it instead of opening a new hospital for them or just fixing the road. What did the government end up doing? Um, they promised to uh, spend $1 million. I can't remember. They promised to this company, I don't know where the money is coming from, uh, to do a new station for, you know, like just basically pumping water and provide them water, but not the drinking water, basically. And, and just clean up the station. But I was, I was thinking, you don't need another station there and you need a sewage facility treatment plant upstream not to let this water coming down. Plus, Iranian Darian dams is one of the biggest dams actually being built on Sirwan River. Mm. And so they're still in our water and the quantity of the water get low. And our Tanjaro's quantity is still the same. So basically that water is going to become a pure sewage. Iran. Okay. Iranian, yeah. Iranian dams has been, yeah. I mean. Just another example of an Iranian yeah, country. Yeah. yeah. Iran, yeah. Iran, they've been planning. Basically what Iran is saying, you know, you guys, you don't need a farmer. You don't need water. You know, we will do it for you. So they import, actually, they export the water to different region, different area for agriculture. And 98% of our food is coming from Iran. So, okay, we accidentally zoomed out again, uh, but I want to zoom back into uh, specifically the KRG. I'm curious about the domestic politics regarding water here and how uh, different sections of the government are dealing with uh, or not dealing with uh, uh, water management. Well, Erbil, we have problems every year, yeah. serious problems. Mm -hmm. When it's come to dry seasons and hot weather, it's, it's, it's disaster. Last four or five years, it's been happening uh, for quite a while. And... Um, if Iranian, like just for the one week, you know, like filling up their dams and, and, and if Turkey does, we're paying a huge price every year in here. So we don't have a very good water management plant and no plan at all. I mean, if you look at it, how much uh, we don't have a water, access to water every day. Maybe once every three days, once every two days, water is coming back because of you have limited hours when the water is coming out and people be just crazy about washing everything and wasting basically and they not I mean I will blame the, the system the, 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 and, and, and civilian as well and we don't see this water as a precious resource basically and we're just wasting it like crazy and, and, and it's much better than it used to be a little bit better but we need more actually be aware of how much water get wasted by civilian by peoples uh, and of course, the system as well. And what we should do as a um, civilian, we should come to the street and fight for this vulnerable element. You know, this is our life. This is our drinking water. Why used to be drinkable, and now we have to buy it in the plastic bottles. Big companies coming selling it to us, and this is a natural resource. It should be free. So I think, yeah. Corrupt state, we're paying a huge price for that. And of course, beautiful projects get disappeared and get damaged between because of the politicians, they don't agree with each other and they hate each other. This party doesn't want to, this happened 
in this area and this party doesn't want to have in this area. So basically, who's paying the price? You know, civilian and peoples and the nature itself too. And if you look at all these greedy millionaires and, and companies, they just come here. They don't care about, they're melting down mountains, which is our identity. We're here because of our nature. We're here because of our river and mountains. We survived. But nowadays, we actually, I'm very, very clear, what the enemy does, now they're going toward our nature. They're destroying our nature because that's the last card they're going to pull, and it will work. Because when your mountains go, when your rivers get polluted and stolen, when your bird's gone, your trees actually cut down, soil is no longer actually fertilized and good soil. Who are you? Who are you? You're nothing. You're here because of the nature, your real home. So Iraq is heartbreaking. The change and rapid change, quick change, because we don't have any, like when it's come to the nature, we're really behind. Still we're in the war. Come on, if you were a wild animal, you don't want to live in somewhere with all these bombings and all the animals run away. In the last 50 years, we lost everything nearly. So to see wild lives, and you have to go to really deep nature, really deep nature. I see wild lives, but rarely. But uh, unfortunately, yeah, wars and conflicts, civil wars, is destroyed our nature. I want to touch again on uh, the industrial aspect of water pollution. What specific companies uh, are you focusing on that you would like to bring awareness to people who are listening to this about uh, when it comes to uh, water-based uh, pollution from international and uh, uh, domestic companies? Well, any companies, this, I don't know, if you look at all these oil refineries and uh, we used to have more than 25, 25, 27 oil refineries in Tanjaro area. None of them had a license, for example. And they didn't have a license. They didn't have a license. Okay. They just local people with the money. They open it and, and in the nastiest way. No filtration for the waste and for the air pollutions. This is just an example. From Suleimani, from Kirkuk to Erbil, you see all these oil refineries. Mm-hmm. Is any of them they have a license? Even they they have a license, they have they have a real. E- EIA, Environmental Impact Assessment, not just the oil refineries, oil wells, gas companies, uh, companies that are recycling metals and gravel miners, all these miners around our river, for example, construction waste. We throw construction waste the nearest place we can. Why? Why did that happen? They throw, never mind, you're building all these skyscrapers and buildings in the cities. What are you doing with this, the waste? And they just throw it next to the city. like. I can take you to the toward the mountains. It used to be all village and, and chickpeas, crops and vegetables, weeds, everything I could see. But now completely, completely is a construction waste. And it's heartbreaking. All the village is gone. We going toward the mountains, melting down our mountains. If you and plus we don't have a sewage facility treatment plant. We don't have any plan for filtering our urban waste, hospital waste. Industrial waste, you go to Tanjaro area, is heartbreaking. We don't have any plan for our uh, garbage, you know, you know how many tons in Suleimani is, is, is heartbreaking. It, it actually, Suleimani worse than any other cities because we, our city dumps just next to the river, Tanjaro river, which is feeding Derbani Khanin. So city dumps creating this nasty liquid, it's called lichet, and this lichet is a deadliest actually liquid. 24-7, I can take you right now, you will see, like, 
at least 20 black streams go to the river, which is a legit, even in the summer. Anytime, 12 months a year, you know, this is non-stop actually feeding the river is a black, the killers. Um, so, unfortunately, we don't have any, we, we didn't manage very well, especially with, with the urban waste, until even now. You know, some companies, okay, oh, we're recycling. No, you're not. We, we, we watching you closely. This is one of our, you know, we as a NGO civil society, and this is what we do. We document, we capture the moments, and we tell the truth. To who? To the people, which is their future is not going to be very clear, not very safe, basically, new generation. I actually want to talk about your uh, position as a civil society NGO uh, because it's complicated to be able to register as one uh, here. And I was wondering if you could go into a little bit of detail about some of the struggles you've had with being able to um, do advocacy work uh, as an organization. Well, when people, they may, you know, people or those people in power, they may see us as a threat. You know, I don't see it like that. And we're not an enemy for the, actually the system. We would love to this the systems work in the healthiest way they can. But we are helping the system. We're helping the politicians to think better and to do better. We are like creating think tank for them, basically. And <clears throat> of course, this is the thing I heard from the politicians. They saying, if you don't bother us, if you don't poke us, keep poking us, you know, we're not going to get the job done. So that's what we do as a civil society. We, we, we have a right to fight for our drinking water, for clean water. Basically, you fight corruptions, anything you see wrong, you just say it. I don't want a red carpet for that. Just don't insult me. So when I go to the registration, I used to actually used to be easy to register in Kurdistan region. Mm -hmm. We register so easily, but the last few years, couple, three years, has been nightmare. Why? It become like FBI. It become like the the the, the, the NGO department. They they just. This has been two years. They haven't gave me my license back. For example, as an NGO, as I told you, I don't want a reward. I don't want a red carpet. Just don't do this to me. So I think they need to get this right. We're not a threat for them. Mm -hmm. We, we work with them. I'm building actually now small pilot projects, sewage facility treatment plant, just to help them to build bigger one. So we're in the same boat. But they see us as a threat. They see us like, you know, in general, or corrupted. Of course, there's a lot of NGOs out there belong to the politicians and some corrupt organization. And I don't stand up for these guys. But speaking for ourselves, as an NGO, we're we, we useful. <laughs> they should keep us. So how does your lack of ability to be able to register as an NGO in the past two years, how has that affected your work? Well, so far it hasn't affected my work because I use my, we, we do have a registration in 2014, okay? We use that template yeah. then. But, you know, renewing your license every year is about finance report. We have done all of that. We haven't stopped so far. But what I'm, what I'm afraid of, if they make some, you know, fake whatever and they can they can close down your NGO but we're not going to stop we have so many different movements and we like I have a club my club is nothing I mean of course it's part of the water keeper but I created this club for a little bit money making and advocacies and educate people saying paddle boarding is much more healthy than having a jet ski for example so you can paddle you can swim you can trust your body when you go to nature more, you will stand up for it in the future because you have a relationship with it. You get to know your lakes, your mountains, and you fight for it. And that's what happened to me. I used to go to the nature just for camping and enjoying 
I realized, no, I need to stand up for these guys. They're vulnerable. And like, you know, my mountain, my river, they cannot shout. So we are shouting for the beautiful nature. And um, so I know it's just psychologically is bothering us. And like every time I go to Erbil, I need $100 for fuels, foods, and, and I go and I come back with nothing. And this is, this is a blase. This is like they're taking a piss, basically. The political parties over there, they don't recognize this zone just because ah, it's, it's really annoying and they need to do something about it. This is kind of something I've been thinking about while you've been talking because so much of your stuff is very personal and so much of your advocacy work is very uh, uh, people-focused. But what would you say to a more cynical person uh, like myself uh, who would say that it doesn't necessarily matter how much individual advocacy you do, how much you go out into the streets, how much you know you personally recycle? Because at the end of the day, these huge industrial powers and the politicians that benefit from them, this system does so much more damage than any one person uh, can do in terms of like personal advocacy what would you say to someone like that well it's so easy to be negative and so easy to say oh it's too late now look at the amount of pollutions and we are in a tipping point okay but it's always good to take individual action just from small things say i'm doing these small things i just do it individually i don't care about you know nobody does it and that's how i do that's how i i climb pyramid mountains still i don't leave anything behind for example I'm not doing it for anybody. I'm doing it for myself. I'm doing it to make myself sleep better. So we're here. There's no way out. You can just say, oh, yeah, there's no way out and we cannot do anything. But you could always do something to make yourself better. Like that hummingbird uh, forest. I always use this, use this example of beautiful story of the hummingbird. The whole forest is set on fire and all the animals, big animals, they run out and they just run in from the fire. This little hummingbird go to the lake and picking up a tiny bit of water, go to the fire, drop it and go back, back and forward and back and forward. And lions and elephants, they ask him, yeah, you piece of bird, you know, what are you trying to do? You patronize? And no, I cannot just sit and watch the fires burning. I'm doing my best. I'm doing little as much as I can, you know, take the water to drop it there. Maybe we are like those little hummingbirds, okay, as an environmentalist. But that makes us feel better. So as I said, you know, if, if you advocate one person in your family, you've done something, you know. I have many kids, my brothers, they have kids, and uh, my mom's much better than it used to be when it's come to water, and everybody's, I can see. But that's not going to solve all the problems. But we're getting somewhere. So you just have to spread the seed and wait for the right climate. The seeds come up. So you have to create that hope with racism, with the war around the world, with the greediness. And like, for example, the gaps between rich and poor. We always have to start somewhere. You know, these billionaires, okay, they might think they will be around. and But there will be a point, you know, we will catch them saying, how do you become a millionaire? Can you explain? Or billionaire, where do you tax? Where is, the, you know? So with the politicians, and uh, I think, yeah, during the corona time, we, it was a recipe for awakening for the whole humanity, but we still haven't. we still ignorant and we can be arrogant. But uh, let's wait until the shit hit the fan and we'll be really, we will see the actual problem and we, 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 in, in that moment we, we have to do something about it. Like, we don't have to go study history about Second World Warfare. We have a war now, right now. Ukraine, for example. Just type 
right now how much bombing is happening around the world it will come up you will be surprised you will be thinking that wow this is even bigger than the world war two one but we we've been told to just see it as a normal things you know just normalized but it's not normal uh well nabil thanks so much for uh, taking the time to talk with me today you're more than welcome and, and i really appreciate you came all over you know from erbil to here that was a nice drive yeah <laughs> cheers Thanks again to Nabil for taking the time and letting me come visit him at Paya. Uh, we have actually profiled both Waterkeepers and Paya Agency before on our website, so I provided links to these features uh, below. Inside Kurdistan is brought to you by the Kurdistan Information Network, and you can check out our podcast on kurdistanin.net. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to us at info at Thanks so much. I'm Aaron Weintraub, and this has been Inside Kurdistan. Inside Kurdistan.